Thanks for downloading this podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. 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 In a world where single-seaters... Ru- now, I just couldn't help it, that music was too dramatic. Good evening, everybody, and welcome along to an additional programme this week. It's the RadioLeMond.com Midweek Motorsport. Uh, look at the 2015 FIA Formula One season. I'm John Hindoff. It's just after 8 o'clock this Tuesday night. And uh, joining us up in London is our executive producer, Tim Gray. Hello, Tim. Good music. I like that. Hello, John. I think this is uh, perfect for the start of a new season, don't you? Yeah, it's the best um, preview music ever, TM. And uh, on a packed programme tonight, we'll be doing what? We'll be looking at the 10 teams and probably more than 20 drivers uh, competing Mm. in... Well, definitely more than 20 drivers competing in this season's uh, FIA Formula One World Championship. And uh, for those of you who've joined us in the past, we're going to have a slight break from tradition because we're going to start uh, with the teams who did best last year and work down to the teams that didn't. Um, we're going to work down to Sauber, basically, aren't we? Yes, yes. For the, uh, the for the purposes of this, Caterham don't exist anymore um, because Caterham um, don't exist anymore. And uh, whilst they might be back in the future, they're not going to be back this season. We don't. I think we think. should emphasise that Caterham F1 don't exist anymore. Caterham road cars still very much exist. Yes, that is true. Good point. For, uh, well made and uh, nicely presented. Um, you can tweet us uh, at Radio Le Mans and at Spec Team and try at Radio Le Mans because uh, my Twitter is playing up this evening. Uh, or you could try at RC Racing because joining us from a secret location in the middle of the carbon fibre triangle in the UK, but very close to the new Honda factory, is our Formula One correspondent, Nick Damon. Good evening, Nick. Good evening, John. Good evening, Tim. Did you know that the new Honda factory is also very close to a Maplin's, which must be helpful at the moment given their electrical problems? They, they can go there and buy cable ties and things. Oh, Insulating no, get, tip, I yeah, think, is what they need. Yeah, and connectors and BNCs and all sorts of things. Mm, fantastic stuff. Uh, however, it won't just be Nick who will be talking uh, about the carbon-based life forms that surround the cars because for the greasy bits, the oily bits, the worry bits uh, and the uppy-downy bits, we have from race car engineer one Sam Collins. Uh, hello, Sam. Hello, John, and Nick has stolen my fact about Maplins. <laughs> I'm sure you have other facts. There are other facts about Maplins. Very, very useful place uh, to go. Right, without further ado, uh, we'll keep our eye also, by the way, on the uh, the forum, the, uh, the Midweek Motorsport Listeners Collective. The uh, F1 free preview stream is uh, up and running. Thread is up and running there, and I can see that, so I'll try and respond to that as we go through this evening. The responsible adult is watching the Twitter feed and will fire as much through as possible. Uh, Let's start at the top of the shop then with last year's world champions and this year's world champions as well because it will be Mercedes and one of their two drivers who will win. Simple as that. Everyone else is picking up 
the crumbs from the lordship's table. Is that right, Sam? Because they have just been imperious, have they not, in the uh, in the running that we've seen so far? Yes. <laughs> Right, moving on then. And uh, Red Bull, <laughs> not content with uh, thoroughly demoralising everybody last year, they've come out and done it again, racking up huge amount of miles at impressively uh, an impressive pace. And both of their drivers have, have shown decent pace. Um, what's new on the car this year, and where have the improvements? Uh, should there do you think there are improvements, and if they are, where have they come from? This is actually a really interesting point because everyone was talking about the power unit, the engine and hybrid system on the car, and the fact that it had to be fairly similar to last year's. You're only allowed to change 48% of it. Mercedes looked at the list and went, yeah, don't fancy doing that. So they've introduced an entirely new power unit, absolutely completely separate, completely different. Everyone says, how are you allowed to do that? Ah, well, we can change for anything for reliability, and the power unit now has to last five races not four. So we've changed the entire power unit. Because it was so unreliable last year, wasn't it? That is an issue. That was an issue for them. I remember it breaking down a couple of times, yeah. Mm. yeah. Um, they stole a march on everybody last year, let's remind uh, the listener, because, of course, Mercedes were providing the power plants to their uh, favoured team themselves, and therefore they were packaging the the packaging able to package the car differently now is that still an advantage for them this year given the the change uh, the slight change that you have mentioned and what's going on on the chassis front uh, they they have absolutely done carried on that same tradition of packaging everything much better there are some big changes of the engines they've now got what we call variable trumpets which is like a, <laughs> if you imagine a, a, a really jazz... good horn section that's a trombone isn't it really a variable well, trumpet I, I'm not good on the brass music instruments, but you see the jazz players doing the swing movement from side to side with the little slidey thing that goes out, and that it's essentially that, Excellent. and it, it makes it makes the air going into the engine a bit more efficient, and it gives it more oomph, makes it a more efficient powertrain, more efficient engine, and that's made the top of the the engine a little bit wider and a little or bulbous, and you can see that on the car. There's a bit of a lump on all the Mercedes-engine cars. All of the cars have got this as well. I mean, the, the other power unit suppliers sh- should have done it. I think they have done it. At the bottom, they've they've gone away from their little log exhaust as well, and they've got the uh, sort of more traditional exhaust. But again, it's just one of those examples where they've just thought about it all a little bit harder and done everything a little bit better than everybody else. Uh, are we going to see cars that are any well? I would say better looking, but people might criticise me for that. Less odd looking than last year. And what are the regulations uh, that might have influenced that thinking? Well, the most popular film of 2015 so far is not going to provide any inspiration to aerodynamicists this year. So there's no Fifty Shades of Grey looking cars out there, unless you're talking about paint schemes, which is most of them. The, The cars have got different front crash structures which means they're much wider and don't look so much like certain anatomical parts yes Um, understood well nicely (laughs) nicely swerved around sam yes very good um and and that just it just means the cars have the teams have all had to struggle to get more air under the nose than they really were able to do and that's kind up front downfall significantly and so the cars are a little bit more tricky at the rear end to drive this year 
Ah, now that may benefit some drivers. And if we're going to talk about drivers, thanks, Sam, for the moment. We'll come back to you in a sec. Let's talk about the two drivers for Mercedes-Benz, and that is uh, Nick Damon's Bailiwick. Uh, no changes in the drivers. What about the rest of the team, uh, Nick? Uh, how have Mercedes-Benz recruited, lost, gained staff across the very short winter time? Um, I think it's interesting, really, that... Uh... Just to carry on a bit with Sam said, by the way, the, the film that currently has the biggest revenue um, for this year is, is Paddington, actually. Um, <laughs> not 50 Shades of Grey, but it's a long story. It, it counts some of next year's revenue as well, large revenue as well. Um, I think, yeah, the, the, it, we're already getting it built up. It's going to be another, you know, Hamilton versus Rosberg year, and that's what it's all about. Because I think you know, F1, the greatest show on earth, TM, has realised that that's all we've got this year already. Um you know, it sounds very glib, and we sit here, and it sounds like we're very kind of old, you know, old and sage-like. But the fact is that, barring the sort of miracle that just doesn't happen, um, we are going to be seeing a Mercedes win um, the World Championship. It, it, therefore, the only game in town as far as winning the becoming world champion is uh, Rosberg v Hamilton. It's better than like 2002 or 2004 when the, it was Ferrari going to win and therefore the only person who could win was Michael Schumacher. At least mm. there is a competition. Um, and already we see Toto Wolff and Nicky Lauda. It's going to be even more intense, more intense than last year, you know. And you've got one, one of them's becoming more settled. He's got married and having a baby and the other one's broken up with Nicole Scherzinger for the 174th time. Apparently she wasn't enjoying wearing, uh, wearing she didn't to wear one colour apparently, which was lavender. Um, but, Not um, allowed to change her, her dress colour through the uh, the season now either. No, absolutely not, no. But, mm-hmm. you know, I think if I'm really, really honest, if reliability is the same, I can't see past Hamilton. Hamilton is, will have taken a huge amount of strength from last year. Um, Rosberg did best him slightly in qualifying, but was significantly worse in all the races. Yeah, I think yeah, it was closer than perhaps we thought in many ways. Um, we perhaps, in a way, suddenly realised that Michael Schumacher wasn't as bad as he was in his three years of comeback, and Rosberg was a little bit quicker. But if you look at the bookies, the bookies are seldom wrong. They've got Lewis's 4-11 to 11 on at the start of the season to win. A, I can't remember anyone anyway, that short odds. 4-11 to 11 on to win the World I, Championship. I have to say that I think that... Uh... Nico's got a better chance than that. I think his performance at times last year was much better than I've ever given given him uh, credit for. Certainly the Canada issue when he nursed the car home when Lewis couldn't. The maturity and change of focus from him about going to the end of the race in the last race of the season when he wanted yeah, but he to came thirteenth. It didn't home. matter. Sorry, Nick, go ahead. He came thirteenth. It didn't matter. I mean, yeah, we all got. I think at the end, yeah, we go through to the year. Rosberg, we had a, we all thought Rosberg was really good. Then in the middle, we thought he was a terrible person for his for his potentially iffy performance in in Monaco. And his definitely iffy move in Belgium. And by the end, we all thought he was a great guy again because he was quite sporty in, in the last race. He kept on going to the end. He was very magnanimous in defeat, marvelous. But the record books say Lewis Hamilton's world champion, and the record books will no, no, say no, 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 no. at the end of two thousand sixteen. 15, sorry, Lewis Hamilton is world champion, and that's a matter of fact. I, do, I think he is now. Not only is he quicker, but that one weakness he had mentally has also gone. Well, no, I think he, the the person who is most likely to build, be Lewis Hamilton is Lewis Hamilton. But I th- and... exactly, and I just don't think that'll happen anymore. Mm, okay. Um, personnel changes at McLaren. Anything of significance? Mercedes. Uh, at Mercedes, <laughs> excuse me. Thank you. Wrong M. Uh, nothing of significance. Couple of, I mean, there's been been some, some backroom second in command comings and goings, but it's still the the Toto Paddy. And Nicky Lauda show. Um, so, you know, 
expect to see them interviewed every two seconds by uh, um, uh, Sky or the BBC, or if you are in a foreign territory, somebody else, because they're all very good. For, they're very, very good for for media relations. So it's good news. Uh, that's Nick Damon, our Formula One correspondent, and uh, we've got Sam Collins of Race Car Engineering with us as well. I'm John Hindoff, Tim Gray is up in London, and we'll move on to our second team as we look at the 2015 FIA Formula One World Championship. It is Red Bull uh, Racing. Uh, let's start with uh, with Sam again, and well, they couldn't have really had a worse car than they had last year. They struggled from the very beginning of the season last year and didn't really improve. Uh, it was the RB10, of course, RB10 last year. Is it the RB11 this year? And, and is it going to be any better? Well, first of all, I've got to take take issue. They, they had a fantastic car last year. It might have had what was the second best car on the grid. It had certainly had the highest level of downforce and the best aerodynamics of any car in Formula One. Unfortunately, in the back of it was a 2014 Renault power unit, which wasn't fantastic. Red Bull are still absolutely fantastic as a team. This is Adrian Newey's, potentially his last Formula One car, but it's still an Adrian Newey car. So he still has had his hand on it, and it is still a very neat, very tidy, very strong piece of kit. The real questions are all about what have Renault got back the deficit to Mercedes, and the answer is no. There's there's always been a slight question mark, though, Sam, has there not, over packaging since the... Uh, additional power units have become more and more important. Now, in the past, of course, the uh, in the past, of course, the uh, wh- whether the Red Bull um, hybrid systems worked or not really weren't that much of an issue because the car was so dominant. And in fairness, the Renault engine was so good. But with the level of additional brake horsepower that you get now and for the amount of time that you get it, they simply can't afford to have the issues and the failures, Sam, that they've that they've had in the past. And it's all been down to the power unit, and it's not really been about packaging the power unit. I mean, that was an issue. They had a problem with their gearbox catching fire last year. That's gone away. <laughs> they think they've solved that. It, yeah, that, that, it was a brilliant quote. One of their guys there said, no, we'd never had an overheating problem. The car just caught fire a lot. <laughs> Which apparently is a different thing. Mm. In my opinion, fire is heat. But uh, the car is, again, very good. It's an evolution. It's It's a it's going to be very strong, but Christian Horner believes there's a 10% deficit to Mercedes in terms of power unit alone, and really? that is a huge amount. Mm. And it, you mentioned Adrian still uh, designing the car, so it'll have, or at least still involved with designing the car. He's taking a little slightly sideways step, and he's, he's sort of got a, a bigger team, so we are told. I'm not sure I, I believe that. So there'll be plenty of downforce again, but as we saw last year, that's not always a good thing for them. No, I mean, the the, the, the aero concept on the car will work well, but it, it will be weak on certain tracks, Spa and Monza particularly. But it's a Red Bull, so it should be good for the bulk of the season, and it should be a very strong car in qualifying. Will it be strong against the Mercedes? Eh, I don't know. The Mercedes is going to be a bit too far ahead, but it should be clearly in second position. However, Adrian Newey, how distracted is he going to be by his Le Mans prototype project and 
is America's Cup project. Those are going to be the things. And are we sure he is doing the Le Mans prototype project now? Well, we are sure he's doing a lot more than just the America's Cup project, and that's all I know for certain. Um, HPD uh, Honda, of course, having issues with theirs being reported uh, earlier today by Marshall Pruitt at Racer.com. We'll talk about that uh, on the substantive part of midweek motorsport uh, this week. But for the moment, we're talking Formula One this Tuesday evening. Um, Team-wise, Nick, as, as we mentioned, there was a few detailed changes towards the end of last season, just in how the Red Bull team were put together down at uh, down at Milton Keynes. And uh, is that going to make a huge amount of difference to what goes on this year and what we see? Well, I like the fact that losing their talisman and four-time world champion is called a, de- a small detail of team changes. Well, but <laughs> his, his, uh, his performance last year um, would not, was not helping them. Well, you know, that's a really good point. I mean, this is the, this is the thing where it comes down to. I think, you know, Sam kind of towed the, the party line of the Red Bull was the second best car last year. I don't actually believe that. But I think they, had a, they were the second best team because they're a fantastic team and they mm. could eke results out, which, which they didn't deserve. The car itself, you know, aero, yeah, great, wasn't, wasn't as good as the Williams. And Williams, on a number of occasions, weren't ambitious enough to, to claim a potential victory when they could in that mid-season. They were particularly quick. Uh, yeah, the, the problem that Red Bull had was they, ended up tri- they had no, so much downforce, but not powers. They trimmed the car out. Once you trim the car out, you then get into issues with tyre wear as well. Of course, less downforce ten, tends to be more tyre wear. Um, there's nothing to suggest that's going to change much this year. They have, of course, um, now got Danny Ricciardo or Ricciardo um, as a team leader. Um, he, last year, he was free and easy. You know, the big smile was fully justified. He, he managed to secure himself the, you know, what, what looked like the second best seat in F1. Um, he'd done it, um, you know, without being particularly spectacular in Toro Ross. So he only really got the nod over Jean-Eric Verne because he was a slightly quicker qualifier and the race was nothing to choose from it. But, you know, if you ever if you, if you want to look at to, in, in a dictionary under and for the definition of grabbing an opportunity with both hands, you'll see a picture of the smiling Danny Rick because he did a fantastic mm. job. But he happened to be, you know, it's, it's amazing, isn't it, how so many things in sport and so many things are about being in the right place at the right time. He got promoted. He wasn't expected to do anything. And at the same time, the man who was the team leader and everyone thought was marvellous, except not me particularly, I must admit, I've always doubted Vettel's absolute greatness, uh, basically just gave up. Uh, there's another word for it. He didn't like the new car. He won four championships in a row. He had lost his motivation. And... It was tooling round, and even towards the end of the season, when he got a little bit better back on the car again, he never got better than than, than as good as Ricciardo. Never seemed to be better than him. A couple of outqualified him a couple of times, and the net result was that the three wins that didn't go to Mercedes last year were all picked up by Danny Rick. A couple of them uh, fortuitous, and one very well earned. Um, and he's now got this new superstar status and a big paycheck. And he's now obviously also suddenly got a different team making Danny Kvyat, who we know. Uh, we do know that he can keep the car on the island. We don't know much more mm-hmm. than that. Again, and he's he in the same sort of position that um, Ricciardo was, Daniele Ricciardo, as Ferrari always t- call him when they're on the radio, which I think is is very good. Um, but the, the, he's rather in the same position as, as, as Ricciardo was last year in that there's not that much pressure on him, or is there? No, I think it's a, it's, it's a good point, John. I think he's, he's kind of come in on a free pass, uh, we, we you know, he isn't even really expected to 
uh, beat Ricky Ireland. He's expected to do a solid backup job. Um, he's coming. Yeah, he's his second year. He's very young. I mean, I'm sure they wanted the idea was to get him into the uh, the main team, but not this year. I'm sure it would have been, yeah, in 2016 was probably the plan. They got the, the two people into Toro Rosso are both first year rookies, so they'd be unlikely to want to promote him up. So, really, barring a complete monumental you know mess up, he's pretty much guaranteed a two year contract uh, in the top team, so he can relax there. Whether Ricardo uh, feels any pressure from Danny, I think is unlikely, and. It'd be interesting to see what their expectations are. They've always got damage limitation from Christian saying, oh, the car's massively underpowered. It does appear that they are going to have some serious problems because it looks like several other teams have got their acts together. Yes. And they Which are the, wasn't uh, necessarily the case last year. No, I think, you know, the, the, but the other Ferrari had a complete nightmare last year and Williams were too conservative. And then, of course, we didn't. And then, of course, you know, the, the, one of the, I think it was the second or third best team of 2013, which was uh, Renault. Uh, sorry, it was Lotus, sorry, were hidebound by having the Renault engine, which they haven't got now. So mm. I think they're going to struggle. For, I think they're gonna, they might, might, might make it. I think they're going to struggle for second. I think one of the reasons they're going to struggle for second is they haven't got a great driver lineup in comparison to the others. Right. You have to say that Vettel and, and a motivated Raikkonen, which he might well be if the car's actually worth driving, is a better theoretical lineup than Ricciardo and Crivio. Right, we'll, we'll come back to Nick in a moment uh, to talk about the personnel behind the scenes at Red Bull. But Tim Gray has uh, a point on Danny and uh, Danny. Just looking at them in all the pre-season stuff, anything where they're away from the car and together, they look so much more comfortable together than uh, Ricciardo and Fettel did. Um, mm-hmm. There was always this sort of tension between them, um, as if, I don't know, Fettel almost didn't respect Ricciardo. Um, but and Ricciardo didn't care. Ricciardo um, didn't care. And there's none it's of, always Ricciardo on the left as well, have you noticed? A bit like Ant and Deck. They always stand the same way around, have you noticed No, that? because in the video that they released <laughs> yesterday, they were the other way around. I was only joking. Um, uh, that, that was the one where... Uh, they were being interviewed in the pit lane at Barcelona and uh, Daniel Kriat was uh, asked what the Russian for box, box, box would be, uh, to which he replied, I don't know, I've never had a Russian engineer. Excellent. Well, I, I thought it was, I I, I, it was I, I, box, box, box. No, it was Annex Ukraine. You need to leave that now. Really, you do. <laughs> You're listening to a Midweek Motorsport Radio Le Mans.com specialist. We look forward to the 2015 FIA Formula One season. Uh, we've got Nick Damon, Tim Gray and Sam Collins of Race Car Engineering uh, on the line tonight. I'm John Hindoff. If you have just joined us, welcome along. You've missed uh, 20-odd minutes of this, but it will be a podcast. Join us with your views on the Midweek Motorsport Listeners Collective, the forum, or tweet at Radio Le Mans or at Specutainment at RC Racing at Race Car Engineer or at Tim underscore twice uh, Gray is how it goes um, <laughs> before we move clear, have you? <laughs> yeah absolutely please stay up with us uh, before we move on to the uh, next team which will be Ferrari as we're uh, excuse me which will be Williams as we're counting down uh, from the top of the tree last year do you want to talk about technical uh, things here, Sam, because this is a year where there's not been a huge amount of technical change. We had the big upheaval last year and we talked long and hard about what that means. But there are a, a few detailed changes that are worth pointing out to the listener. Yeah, there certainly are. 
the regulations are almost identical year on year. There's been one mistake made by the FIA, which meant the power units didn't have to be homologated at the start of the season. So teams are now able to adapt and adjust their engines and hybrid systems through the year within a set of sort of fantasy Formula One or fantasy football style <laughs> points, which is a this genius system, but they, they were supposed to do it all before the first Grand Prix. Mm but didn't because the FI forgot to put a deadline in the regulations. Ah. Uh, I hear a, a nasty rumour, which I believe to be true, that the reason it didn't appear in the regulations is a certain Italian car manufacturer uh, forgot to homologate part of its turbocharger properly. Uh-huh. And that's why the, the thing got left out. But that, that's, that's a minor detail. The headline changes. The cars are a bit heavier this year. They're approaching um, old LMP2 spec. They're over seven, you know, they're over seven hundred kilos now. Uh, so it's uh, we're getting on for uh, nearly that seven fifty weight which we had at Le Mans a few years ago. These are these are cars are getting fatter and bigger, and that's simply because the manufacturers were struggling to get the power units down to the weight which is an interesting thing. The other thing that's gone away is that there has now been an official ban on interconnected suspension front to rear, oh, something okay. that made the cars a much more stable aerodynamic platform. Now, the FI have banned this interconnected suspension by saying it's a movable aerodynamic device, which yeah. is something we've heard before. Um, but they've worded it in such a good way that you really couldn't do that anymore. The teams have still got left to right interconnection on the front and the rear, but not front to rear. And that's changed a lot about how some teams, notably Force India, we'll get to that later, have done their suspension design on the cars. And I think that's going to be a big area of development for the teams. Mm -hmm. But the biggest thing, the thing that could make the biggest difference, possibly from the Australian Grand Prix, possibly later in the season, is the homologation of a new fuel flow meter. Mm -hmm. So... If you think back 12 months from uh, from now, uh, I was sitting waiting for a race result from the Australian Grand Prix. Danny Ricciardo had got kicked out for having too much fuel flow in his car because his fuel flow meter had failed and the, the team couldn't do anything about it. Well, the FIA couldn't prove his fuel was legal, but they also couldn't prove it was illegal. So they had to kick him out of the race results anyway. Well, that fuel flow meter has been a bit buggy. It's the same one they use in LMP1 in, in law. It's been a bit buggy all year. The people who supply that claim they've improved it. But a completely separate company made up of the engineers who designed the original fuel flow meters and left in, uh, in some sort of acrimony have come up with their own solution that is either just homologated or just about to be homologated. And they believe it's more accurate. A more accurate fuel flow meter could mean more power from the car. And yes. that could be the deciding factor. Because people will be less worried about potentially breaking out. Um, and if they think it's more accurate, they, it's like anything, isn't it? As, as your engineering gets more accurate, whether it's cylinder bores or valves, you get, you're prepared to go closer to the line, aren't you? Well, the... The sort of investigation after the Australian Grand Prix last year suggested that just by running that little bit closer to the limit, as Red Bull did last year, gave them half a second a lap. Mm. It's a huge gain on a race. Uh, and that's those uh, those are basically the, the only real big changes. There's no aero. There was no aero changes uh, during the winter, was there? 
Well, the only real major aero change was uh, the, the the nose shape, and that has had a massive knock-on effect on the whole airflow around the front wheels, around the side pods, and that's where you're going to see the big changes on the car. A lot of the teams have tried jacking up the backs of their car to get a bit more air under the gearbox as well. Um, the, the change that we thought might have happened, not necessarily this year, but has been talked about a lot, Sam, is that for tyres, and, and that hasn't come about. No, the tyres have been fairly consistent year on year. There's a new construction, essentially a new design of rear tyre, but it's it seems to be pretty close to last year's. And there's a few sort of slight tweaks to the compounds, but really, I wouldn't. Tyres aren't going to be the big topic of conversation. They have been for a while. It, it's it's interesting. Pirelli seem to have wound themselves back in, and I wonder if this was down to the threat from Michelin that we all talked about this time last year. But, of course, we have heard since then that Michelin have, shall we say, passed on the opportunity. And in their own words, it's because they refused to make a tyre that had the kind of degradation levels that F1 wanted, quote-unquote, for the show. Uh, yeah exactly Michelin want to build the best tyre they can and they want to compete they want to take on the likes of Hancock and Falcon and and, and, and Bridgestone and Pirelli of course and they weren't going to get that in Formula 1 they do get it in Le Mans but uh, interestingly in Le Mans they have moved, made there seems to be moved towards spec tyres which is the disaster um, Formula 1 needs tyre competition it's part of the DNA of Formula 1 and it needs to come back and I suspect it may come back in 2016. I I, I did think that the interesting part of that release from Michelin um, and their um, raison d'etre for staying out was not because their uh, caveat for 18 inch rims had been turned down and because that was one of the things that they said right from the start, they wouldn't even consider going into Formula 1 if the rim sizes didn't go up to 18 inch. And that seems not necessarily to have been the sticking point there. And of course, we did see that Ferrari concept Formula 1 car with very, very low profile tyres on much bigger wheels. Are we eventually, Sam, going to get those bigger rim sizes and finally low profile tyres in Formula 1? Oh, absolutely. I mean, Lotus tested them at Silverstone last year. I mean, that wasn't a small project to manufacture those low-profile tyres and those big wheels. Uh, they went and did it to show how people would, show people how it would look on track. Pirelli are actively working on that. The teams are actively working on that. But in my mind, it looks terrible. Yeah, it's an odd one, isn't it? Um, it that was uh, Sam Collins of Race Car Engineering. It's midweek motorsports Formula One preview. Tuesday night, just after half past eight, here on RadioLeMond.com. Let's uh, push on, and Williams Mercedes are the uh, team that finished last year in third position. Williams this year, uh, Nick Damon, uh, have the driving squad of? The greatest driver in the world, uh, Felipe Massa. Uh, and uh, Valtteri Bottas, um, backed up by super, super license qualifying Alex Lynn and not super license qualifying um, uh, Susie Stoddard. In, 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 all, in all honesty, in all honesty uh, Massa had a better year than I think most people expected, and certainly me. I thought he was uh, done and done many years ago, and he's proved me wrong, and I'm the first person to put me my hand up and, and, and say that. Can he continue to do it uh, this year coming? Um, or was last year just a, a flash in the pan, Nick? 
No, I think you know. I think what people probably learn more is that is that Felipe Massa is a very, very good racing driver. He's not one of the greats. He's a very good racing driver. He won a number of races early in his career, and he had some good days at certain tracks against Michael Schumacher and put up a good performance in the Ferrari. However, after after his accident and everything that came back, he was completely kowtowed by by working with you know Fernando Alonso. One time he gets in front of him in Germany, he gets the call: "Fernando is faster than you," and it gets into a into a driver's That's not mind. Not the Darlington accent of Rob Smedley. <laughs> if you remember, no, but it's, I'm just doing it slightly more sinisterly. Um, and I think you know he he kind of his, his, his reputation was being shot to pieces. He you know, he, was, he was almost a laughing stock in Brazil. And, you know, as he's, he's taken this, it was odd, really, because in the previous person takes subservient role, which is Rubens Barrichello, is also Brazilian, was let off. Um, mm. So I think he had, you know, had the traditional thing where we, you know, the thing you have to realise is so much of that last two tenths or half a second a lap is about confidence, inner confidence or whatever it may be. Um, but the fact is that, you know, you pick up that confidence, suddenly you, you've got a team that actually quite likes you. get Rob Smedley, who's one of the people who does believe in you, also joins Williams as well. You get a reasonably good car, and you put in a much, much higher level of performance. I think, you know, he, yeah, he was, I think, at the end of the, se- I think at the, end of the season, he was obviously Valtteri Bottas uh, with the double points in the last race, went past him, um, and was fourth overall. And, but, yeah, obviously in qualifying, Massa was right there in some of the races, and it's difficult to tell who would have done better, because, again, Williams had this odd conservatism during last year almost they couldn't believe their own luck and where they were and I think they were so desperate to make sure they got the money for the prizes they were happy to settle for a a good result because they were having these financial issues um, in need to raise cash it's a a good combination you've got a very very fast driver in in Bottas who's still a little bit raw and you've got a very experienced driver in in Massa who as long as it isn't raining will get it back and and will take it into the point so it's a good combination for a team that's you know uh, I suppose really mid-table premiership rather than than, than, than a than going for the for the uh, Champions League, the uh, and Bottas um, touted, of course, as the next great thing by many uh, who watch the sport closely. So, you know, um, he was fourth in the championship last year against Massa's seventh, six podiums for him, three for Massa. So he did his job last year, but. What's he got to do this year to crack on? Well, you know, I think it comes down to the, the, it looks like Williams again is a very good car and therefore they need to be competing for this second place overall and third place in the championship, which does seem, uh, you know, five days out from the start of the new world championship is just what they're fighting for. I think Bottas is good. Um, you know, he's he's got an advantage in perhaps the person who was the next uh, fast Scandinavian has been parked for, we think, for all bar the opening race in uh, in Magnussen. We've got a couple more up-and-comers in uh, Verstappen and uh, and Carlos Sainz who might take away that, that coming man target. But, yeah, the fact is it's very, very likely there's going to be, going to be a space at Ferrari at the end of this year. It's unlikely Ryken will be retained. Um, and it said that he's, you know, certainly up there as a, as a target. But yeah, you, you've got to obviously he's got to beat Massa. That's the key thing. He's got to beat Massa more con- more consistently and more convincingly than he did last year. I mean, Massa can say I'm the experienced one, but of course it's a, it was a reset with the completely new engines and uh, uh, designs of the car. So it's really quite simple what he has to do. He has to basically do an Alonso or Massa. Whether he can do that with Massa's better mental state or whether he'd be allowed to with with the overt conservatives of Williams I don't know but it'd be one of the more interesting battles well and you talk about the conservatism that they had last year which probably cost them at least one 
victory. Um, that was the obvious one to see. There may have been other opportunities throughout the year. Uh, personnel changes behind the, see- the, the scenes there that might have made any difference? Well, they, they, they did them all last year. Um, you know, they picked up Pat Simmons a, a bit before that. And, and Pat's a very, very uh, talented driver. Obviously, a, t- a, a team man. I've known him for years. Uh, managing to escape from the tarnish his reputation picked up after um, Crashgate. Uh, Rob Spendley came in to do some, some work as well. Um, this is kind of effectively Frank Williams is taking a step back. I mean, his health's whilst remarkable for a man of his condition it's not as good as it as it has been even you know in the last two or three years and and Claire Williams is taking over some of the reins there so it's been a move and and, and oddly for a team which dominated uh only 20 years ago they are actually punching above their weight in coming third in the world championship really okay um that's fine um what about the machinery then sam for williams uh, this year as we said they were there or thereabouts last year perhaps could have had a, a few better results there have been a team that has gradually been improving over the last what three or four seasons um what can they do in 2015 third in the championship last year can they bother the top two or are they just going to be the best of the rest oh they're going to more than bother the top two john they are going to be scrapping like hell for second position in the constructors championship Mm -hmm. if williams do not win a race this season the only reason they won't ever won a race is mercedes the williams team there was a major restructuring at the end of last season under Pat Simmons, and he's completely redesigned the Williams team from a personnel point of view. This is a team that looks like a really, really good place to be right now. The team are happy. The the Mercedes engine supplier supply is solid as long as you know the boss of Mercedes's wife is the test and reserve driver of the team, which uh, she point. is. Yes, good point. Well made and nicely, nicely presented. I'd forgotten about that. The, the, the team has just a nice position. They seem to have some good commercial partnerships coming in. The car is very evolutionary. It's a real just iteration of last year's car with all the little bits that could have been improved been improved lots of aero changes stuff that you can't really see but stuff that just overall the car's been just done a lot better and it is going to be a strong car this perhaps not as strong as mercedes i don't think it can be but williams are they're right back there fighting for race wins this year what, can, I ask, what, can I ask Sam a question? Yeah, of course well, you can. I, I, we, we're very an... careful not to talk over people. Mm. Obviously, apart from Massa's brilliance, do you believe that Williams lacked ambition last year? No, I think uh, they knew where they were at, and they knew that going toe to toe with Mercedes, they're going to come off second best. So they knew what they were about and went for it. Now, this year's going to be a bit different. I think they will. On occasion, on the right track, in the right temperature, that number 77 car will be able to take it on with the the 44, Lewis Hamilton, and the number 6, Nico Rosberg. You know, that 77 car is going to be the one to watch. No, no, I I don't know what Felipe Massa's number is, but it's definitely Felipe. (laughs) You two two can fight, you can do rock, paper, scissors. He's only been going for the last six seasons. I know, later on, on that one. I I, I guess what I... I just wonder is what, and and I kind of, I'm not saying I agree or disagree with either, but I understand the point that Nick's making here, Sam. Have they got enough ambition 
at Williams to push on or have they for too long been a middle team who are kind of middle of the grid team who are kind of at the moment thinking actually anything better than that and we're kind of doing all right because they were in, in severe financial difficulties a few years ago and they've got the whole team on a on a far better footing um, in the last few years you know let, let's be quite candid about this they could have been Caterham or Marussia a few years ago they came close to that and they've turned it around I just wonder if it has dulled their ambition just a little bit no no it hasn't Williams are out and out pure racers when you sit down with Claire Williams I mean she it comes across from her but this is Frank's team still Frank's still there Patrick Head is still there these people are gritty motor racing British club racers essentially who've you know gone the long way they've adapted the technology they've developed in Formula 1 and sold it off at a great profit to GKN financially they're secure this is a team that wants to go out and win world championships right now it's in a difficult situation because it does have the best engine on the grid mm. and will retain that but it's not a works team and in Williams's great days they were always a works team Mm. Uh, and uh, Nick, from from your point of view, then uh, what I've just said to Sam, let me turn that around. Um, they have now tasted some success. Will that not push them on to further ambition? They've got a good card, no doubt about that. With a little more uh, tactical now, perhaps splitting of strategies, doing things that other people aren't doing, they could get some really great results. Or they could finish nowhere because the other side of doing things differently is not the fantastic wins and everyone always talks about the great results is dropping out of sight and losing potential points. Uh, my point, my issue with that would be I'm, I'm not sure they're ready for that and I suppose that's what you'd say as well. Yeah, I think the biggest problem they've got and, and I think they're going to need to push on very hard. They they absolutely, you know, if you think about it, 2013 was a complete nightmare season for them. They scored virtually no points. They had past the mountain and crashing every corner. Um, <laughs> they came back and they lucked in or were brilliant and got the Mercedes engine, designed a car which was, which was quick, if not necessarily full of downforce, and managed to get a hat full of points by being conservative and not being the Williams we know from Frank and Patrick, you know, mm. if, uh, even as late as 2004-05. They now have an issue where several teams have improved and therefore they will be scrapping for those easy points. They aren't there anymore. Ferrari have obviously improved. Red Bull have improved. Though a bit more, and, you know, and they've got a new similar team, uh, resurgent uh, medium-sized team, also running Mercedes engine in, in Lotus. So whilst they seem to have a number of, the, of plus points on their side, they're going to have to develop hard during the race, and they're going to have to really go for those advantages when they get them. I think well, Sam's right. Yeah, they're going to have sweet spots, as, as all the you know, uh, teams in the second level behind Mercedes are going to, uh, but they're going to have to sit there and decide we really have to capitalise and not settle. And I don't know whether they are of a mind to do that now, which is an odd thing about one of the teams you consider to be probably the most racy of all. Mm. And you kind of just want, you kind of want Patrick Hare to turn up on his motorbike, give them all a damn good talking to and <laughs> kick them into shape because it was, you know, I'm, I am by nature from where I was many years ago, a Williams fan, like a lot of, you know, from way back yep. in the the eighties, you know, I think one of the sad things is when you actually do end up on the circus for a few years, you kind of lose your your fandom, and it takes a few years to come back. But Williams are my, you know, up front Williams are my favourite team. Um, you know, I've been there, been around the museum, it's fantastic. And you kind of just want them to really, really 
just go for it. But obviously, as you very well pointed out, John, the financial imperatives of getting those points can sometimes you know, dull even the, uh, the, har- the sharpest racing spirit. Um, live show. So let's take uh, one or two bits and pieces uh, from the Midweek Motorsport listeners uh, collective. Uh, mm. And good evening to uh, Beardy Mark. We'll talk about Kurz uh, and Alonso later on to Adam Bowman. Uh, and uh, to the rest of you are, who are uh, listening in at the moment, Jet agrees uh, with me saying hi, uh, and, the, and the rest of the team saying that uh, Mercedes-Benz will, uh, we, will win everything. Uh, great info in the latest edition of Race Car Engineering about the F1 cars this season. Uh, would be interesting to see the correlation between driver facial hair and team harmony at McLaren. Um, Mansell, Alonso, Fuzzy Lewis... Alonso again says uh, Rob Fitzgerald. Does that mean um, I, mean, I, I get into McLaren? I've got facial hair. Did uh, Alonso have facial hair in his first stint at McLaren? No, I so, think he had a, amusing moustaches most of the time. Uh, yeah, he had sort of a. Um, a, 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 a what did do you he call do the, it? He was doing the kind of the evil French uh, revolutionary look, wasn't he? That's <laughs> right, yes. yes. Pogonophobia, by the way, is uh, people who don't like beards. It says Beardy Mart. Yeah. What, what does your beard look like, Nick? Uh, more verdant. Or I actually had to buy a beard trimmer to, kind of, to actually slim it down a bit because it got a bit too bushy. He, he are looks are like you back... as bad as Brian Keenan up there? I don't think so. No, I'm not. I, actually, I was very impressed with that picture that John put up. He's, he's, he, he, I'm, see, you've got a pretty good growth yourself, mate. I know you're having to remove it for American TV purposes, but I think you should keep it. Uh, well, it can always come back. Uh, we both <laughs> look like background... Uh artists in uh, for fortitude at the moment <laughs> it's quarter to nine or just after uh, good evening if you're just joining us uh, thanks uh, for all the comments uh, so far and apologies we... for confusing people by being on a tuesday well yes and and uh, including and a different... me uh, a different hour as well, of course, for uh, those of you in the US, because uh, you changed your clocks in the uh, North American continent uh, at the weekend. Uh, let, let's move on. Uh, there's a couple of comments that I want to get to. That's obviously the big story of pre-season um, is McLaren, and I want to get to those in a moment. But if we're going through the teams, 216 points last year, fourth place, Ferrari and Ferrari. Uh, let's start with Sam uh, this time. With me. Oh yes, we can start no. with you. Oh, because uh, uh, just now uh, Sam said, uh, I think it was Sam, must be Nick, uh, said uh, Ferrari have made improvements over the I winter. I said that. Yes. Well, they couldn't have gone the other way, really, considering last year was the worst season in their history. We can always get worse. Mm. Until eventually become Andrea Moda and you can't get any worse. Yes, but then you just, you, I suppose if you're starting to be satellite teams, it's even worse. Um, Ferrari then, uh, Sam Collins, race car engineering. Um, a lean year for them last year, as Tim rightly says. Heads rolled. We'll talk to Nick about that in a moment. So clearly last year's F140, the Fiat, um, has been banished to a very dark place in the corner of the factory and probably set alight and uh, killed in many uh, strange ways and this year's car is going to be so much better isn't it well <laughs> <laughs> I just don't know Ferrari have been exceptionally cagey over the winter normally old school Ferrari I mean the engine it's the heart of the car they talk about the engine the V 
1986, this beautiful thing. Well, well, every other manufacturer in Formula One has talked about their new engine, what they've done, all these wonderful things they've done. Ferrari, when you read their press kit, it doesn't even make mention of the power unit. It's like it doesn't exist. Last year's power unit was overweight and underpowered, and there was a big falling out about who was responsible. Was it Marmarini, who designed a reliable engine and followed the aerodynamic department's demands and delivered something that didn't really work? Was it just the whole culture of the team? Well, there was that night of the long knives you've talked about, and Nick will go into more detail about. But this year's car, in testing both the Sauber and the Ferrari, the only two Ferrari engine cars that at this point have been on a track, uh, they were both super quick throughout testing. You know, not Mercedes quick, like real world quick, but quick lap times, showing off to the press lap times. But is it real? I just don't know how much of that pace is real from Ferrari. The car itself, a real iteration year on year, like many of them are. It's very similar to last year's car the F14T, and is that a good thing? The F14T didn't really work aerodynamically, uh, and it didn't work from a power unit point of view, so it struggled all year, it didn't work with the tyre as well. This car, have they just gone through the F- F14T and solved all the problems, or is this a bigger problem as a whole car? I just don't know. What about the engine though, Sam? Because the, you know, the engine last year was generally thought not to be um, very good at all, possibly even worse than the Renault one. It was worse than the Renault engine. The Ferrari engine was the worst in the field. Uh, it, without doubt, it was the worst. How far have they improved? We just don't know. We just know so little about this car. If you asked me this question on Monday, I'd tell you an awful lot more about the engine. But right now, without even seeing anything come to the engine cover of either of the cars, they've been quite good at hiding them. I just don't know what they've changed and how far they've gone. Uh, and why Monday? Are you down there, are you? <laughs> <laughs> I'll have watched the Grand Prix and I'll know what'll have happened. Uh... <laughs> I'll have seen we've got we've got we've we might have somebody in the pits um having to who has a brief of looking very closely with a photograph camera making thing. Thing, picture type yeah. thing. Camera. One of those magical camera. Things. Yes, that's the thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Nick, Nick Damon, you said some years ago that Ferrari would eventually implode in a very uh, southern Mediterranean stereotypical way of waving hands about, pointing fingers, blaming somebody, uh, scapegoats being identified and hung out to dry. I think it took a little longer than many of us thought, Mm -hmm. probably down to Stefano Domenicali being able to keep, keep things together for rather longer than I think anybody anticipated. But the night of the long knives effectively was last year they go into 2015 with a different look behind the scenes as well as a new driver, as you've mentioned. But let's talk about the administrative and engineering changes there for the for the personnel. Well, I think actually, John, the, 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 the glue that held it all together over those years, and it did take seven years to collapse, was, was uh, the much maligned for his over-politicking Fernando Alonso. Yeah. He kept out driving the performance of the car and covering up uh, the potential of the car and covering up all the problems. So, you know... When people say, oh, well, Fernando's not one much, is any good, you actually find that, oh, hang on, it was actually probably Fernando. Um, now, you know, it, 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 it is a, yeah, Stefano Domenicali, Marmarini, I think it's a meal rather than an engineer, started the season, we lost them halfway through, Matty actually came in from running road cars in 
America right, yeah. managed to get Sebastian Vettel on board, uh, misplaced Fernando Alonso, whether deliberately or accidentally, I don't know. He then went up and Arava Benny came in. Uh, in between, half the technical people went, including Pat Fry, and obviously he had his phones taken away from him as well. Um, and uh, it was left, we don't have James Allison, uh, who's, who's running the design of the car. And it's very, very interesting, because what Sam says, I think, is 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 completely insightful. What they have done is the ultimate act of sandbagging during testing. The only problem is they might be sandbagging themselves in that they, ha- they, ha- they went out the box fast and that was really, literally, to shut up the Italian press. Mm. They stuck in a few fast laps around in Jerez uh, because they just wanted to just calm down the chatter. Uh, they ran... In, in, in some ways... Nick, sorry. In in some ways, though, Nick, the the issue with Ferrari is, whilst possibly most of the other teams, bar probably Red Bull, would be quite happy if things were going along quite quietly in the background. I accept that Formula One is a very press and coverage driven and hungry type of sport, um, particularly with channels dedicated to it all over the world uh, now. But one or two teams, I would think probably McLaren, one or two others, wouldn't mind just sort of pottering along in the background. Ferrari just can't do that, can they? Because of the way that the Italian press are set up. It's it's the kind of following that we have in this country for the English national football or cricket team. It's that kind mm. of... Um, importance to the to the general public yeah and the pressure you know got to them they they made they they they, they yeah they obviously forgot to mention they also managed to misplace uh luca de montezemolo as well during the year as well and and then preventing from from taking over any role within the f1 management side of things so there's always been some, some massive rows about their backwards performing over the last few years now the chance of turning around such a miserable performance as tim rightly pointed out their worst performance maybe ever or it could be 1990 early 90s when they had a, a worse year um is not normally the work of what of, of a season and they've picked up obviously they've got uh with the drive Riken and Fettel they've decided that Fettel is a good replacement for Alonso I'm not sure you'd find many people who believe that's a like for like swap most would people say that's a downgrade um in fact I probably think that Fernando Alonso as he got out of the car after his accident in Jerez when he thought he was 13 was a better driver than Vettel is now um, but um, you know Raikkonen is, is, is a, a different case if Raikkonen is motivated he's still very quick and my guess is that when you get those weekends when the car works it's Raikkonen who's going to get those big points hauls except for the fact you said something earlier on Sam that might be the um, the downfall of Vettel again. Vettel does not like a loose rear end. He likes it planted uh, from behind, doesn't he? And the blown diffuser that we had a few years ago was right up his alley and to the point where he was the one who absolutely exploited that handling characteristic more than anyone else. If people are jacking the the cars up to get a bit of rake in the car to get the car on the nose Vettel's going to have another nightmare season he does not like that yeah I think that's absolutely the case John I think that the, these, this Ferrari particularly has been is, is designed on a very different philosophy to the Red Bulls he's driven for almost his entire career of uh, mm. pushing aside the, the vague sound medallions I mean he's always driven an Adrian Newey car 
this is not an Adrian Newey car by any stretch of the imagination. This is something completely different with a very strange philosophy, and it's going to drive completely differently. I think Vettel will struggle, and I think we might actually see, with Vettel struggling, the real Kimi Raikkonen return. Yeah. That or they tape an ice cream to the nose cone. <laughs> oh, and that's a bit scary. We've actually got uh, a little bit of uh, a little bit of detente and agreement between our two experts. Uh, just after five minutes to nine, you're listening to a midweek motorsport special on a Tuesday. Um, asking for your input as well. Um, and Sam was saying, what are you guys reckon to Williams racing a little bit earlier on? Miles Cook says. Uh, I don't think Williams Racing suffer fools and could see early on the writing on the wall for Renault last year. Swap for the Merck. Um, Ed C. I agree Williams lacked uh, ambition in 2014. Agreeing with Nick there. He, he does say with Fry Smedley at all finding their feet now, it's game on uh, as far as Williams is concerned. Um, this from uh, Ed as well. Vettel at Ferrari for the long haul. Surely he wants to do a Schumacher there. Hmm? Yeah, but he needs to be he needs to be significantly more talented to do that. I think more von Trips than a Schumacher. <laughs> oh, I hope not. That, that that didn't end well. <laughs> uh, Pete says uh, on spec at Specutainment. Alonso was to Ferrari what Casey Stoner was to Ducati. Without them. The truth about the machines comes obvious. I'm... That is a brilliant comment. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Um, and and in and in fairness, I was talking to uh, Matthias Lauder actually um, over the weekend um, about drivers, and he knows quite a few of the people that we've been talking about very well indeed. And again, it comes up time and time again, Nick, when you talk to people in the industry about. Alonso and why he is the best driver out there and he is the best driver out there he continues to outperform the car and get results for the car that the car doesn't deserve if it's a solid sixth place car there's plenty of drivers who'll get seventh eighths and ninths out of it there's one or two who might get fifth and sixth but Alonso will ring a third out of it and and he just keeps on doing that no, I think, you know, I, I believe the best two drivers in F1 are Fernando and Lewis. And I think that it'd be lovely to see him in the same car. And I, and I think it'd be very, very close. I think they have uh, complementary strengths and uh, the opposite complementary weaknesses. So de- de- detrimental weaknesses together. And I think it'd be a very, very close battle. Um, certainly, uh, for a man who's not won a world championship for eight years, it's amazing his reputation is still as high as it is. So people know what they're talking about. Okay, almost halfway through this one. Keep your uh, keep your com uh, com com. What's the word I'm looking for? Comments. There we go. I only talk for a living. Um, the keep those coming to Aspect Entertainment. I've uh, managed to uh, boot the trade deck uh, back up again. Uh, we are halfway through our midweek motorsport special. It's a Tuesday night, almost nine o'clock, as we look forward to the 2015 FIA Formula One Championship. Midweek Motorsport. And if you've spent the first part of the show counting, you should be up to 3,600 by now. So uh, let's head into the second hour. And the we've still got uh, plenty for you. The rest of the teams, of course. Tim will be asking us for our predictions for the season. And we want lots more from you as well. Also getting some... 
bringing news in as well about uh, Mana Marussia and uh, their drivers and their driver numbers. We'll get bring that to you uh, later on. And, of course, the big talking point of winter testing, Alonso's beard. How quickly has that been growing? I wonder what's caused that. That's all still to come on our season preview for Formula 1 2015 here on a Midweek Motorsport Special on RachelLamont.com. Midweek Motorsport on RadioLamont.com. Right, let's uh, crack on then with uh, McLaren Mercedes. And before we talk about anything... Uh, McLaren Honda. Last year there were McLaren Mercedes and we're reading down through last year's 155 (laughs) points. So last year there were McLaren Mercedes and of course this year they are, as Nick rightly says, uh, McLaren Honda. Let me read you this from the stream on the uh, Midweek Motorsport Listeners Collective. Uh, of course, the big story is that of Fernando Alonso and his accident. Now, I was in Spain at the weekend, and their coverage is wall-to-wall on their TV channels, and there were some very interesting bits and pieces coming through, which I'll talk about in a wee while. This is from Beardy Mart. I've read that the Kerr's safe light, mandatory just below the roll hoop-mounted camera, was green, so the car was safe to touch, and the Kerr's system wasn't live when the rescue crews arrived. I've seen photos of people in Team Search touching the car without Marigold, on the accident site while the ambulance was still present. Neither of these things seemed to tally with the live curse system shocking the drivers before impact. I haven't seen any video or footage of the crash, although Briatori claims video exists because Bernie sent him a coffee, which is true, is remarkable in itself. But it seems Alonso was trying to save the car and ended up hitting the concrete wall squarely side on. The suspension is strong in that direction, and it seemed the full spike of G was transferred to the driver. The impact being any of the angle, the crash structures or suspension would have smoothed out the G loading as designed. As to why Alonso is missing the first race, that's a different question. There seems to be widespread suspicion that his relationship with the team has become difficult already. Hopefully, John and Nick will know if there's any substance to that. Well, let's talk about the accident first of all because it's been swathed in some secrecy um, Can I have a question here? Yeah, of course you can When birds uh, perch on high voltage Suddenly cables mm-hmm. why don't they get electric shocks? Because they're, they're not, not grounded. grounded So why would that Fernando Alonso not get an electric shock? He's not grounded Correct. Because he's not grounded because the, the tyres are made are of keeping... rubber of keeping well, they're not, the though, are they? They're not but, made of anything conductive, like metal. Yeah, well, the car you, grounds out. You say that, but also... Can, can, it, I, what, I, it, hang on, hang on. Sorry. I'm going to answer Tim's question before we go any further. <laughs> There's nothing to say that you could not get a voltage spike between two parts of the car. And as carbon fibre, as we've mentioned before, is conductive... It doesn't necessarily have to go to ground. It could, you could have voltage jumping between two parts of the car. There's still electricity going around the car, and the car itself has an earth built into it. Don't forget. So if the uh, if um, there's a voltage spike, it could possibly have run through the fabric of the car. That's the answer to, to Tim's question. I I don't believe that the car is has an earth to it though. So what you well here we'll bring in Sam. So Sam, do they run two wires to every electrical component, one out and one back? Essentially, yes. Okay. It's electric. It's electricity, so it wouldn't work if it didn't. Mm-hmm. So there's no there's no negative earth or ground posting or anything like that on the car. 
Uh, look, I'm gonna I'm gonna come straight at this. Fox Mulder used to have a poster behind his desk in the X Files TV series for those of us old enough to remember it, saying "I want to believe." It was a comment on UFOs and conspiracy mm. theories, and this Fernando Alonso getting electrocuted is filed under Little Green Men. It didn't happen, but there is a little question about this. There, there was a comment that is, does video of the crash exist? Yes, it definitely does. Um, I know for a fact there is video uh, of the crash. There's fan video and there's onboard video. But what the real conversation about is why did Alonso get such a severe concussion in a side impact? My suspicion is it's something to do with what's around his neck, not what happened to the car? The issue about that is that if what I've seen in on Spanish television is right, that the car took 12 seconds to drift off the, the track in a way that looked like very much the driver had fallen asleep at the wheel um, and the uh, angle of impact was a slow scrape down the wall having gone onto the grass beforehand rather than anything side on. Uh, and I think... Some... I think... What this is a good example of, in the absence of a understandable and cohesive statement by someone, there's a vacuum form. The vacuum information, rumours flood in to fill it up, and it's been handled appallingly by McLaren and Honda. But it's no surprise, really, because Honda, of course, their engines would blow up and they would insist it was a hydraulic leak. You well, know, in, in McLaren it, and Honda, you have the two most secretive, I was alluding now, to that earlier I, on. I also do not believe that there was electric shock involved however the one the other point that gets glossed over and is possible is that fernando has an episode mm-hmm. now he could have had well a the, flu. the he could the have Grand had pre drivers uh, association uh, nick put out a statement that suggested that that might have been the issue and if it was that Fernando's career would be over. We have had some some so-called experts, former Formula One doctors, saying that from what he's seen and heard, it looked to me looked to him to be arrhythmia, which would mean um, a regular heartbeat, which means a pacemaker, which would mean his career was over. We've heard other people speculating that it was fumes that knocked him out at the moment. All of this proves to me the point that you've made, and I think is the most important point, uh, that McLaren have handled this very badly, McLaren and Honda, to the point where the Australian Grand Prix organisers felt the need last week, um, back end of last week, Friday or Saturday, to put out a press release saying the teams aren't boycotting the Grand Prix, they are really coming. And if that was, if they felt the need to put that out, somebody has told them that the teams are on their high horse about something, and indeed one or two of the teams did say that if McLaren didn't come clean about what had happened, they would be worried about the potential of uh, potential uh, pun absolutely in, intended um, a potential about what could happen to their cars and drivers given that don't forget some of the components in everybody's cars are made by McLaren yeah I think, I think that... yeah go on Sam yeah I mean the, every every car does use McLaren electronic components the, the the ecu on every car is is from mclaren and actually one it is a fact that during that test run the the honda high voltage system was malfunctioning we know that i mean honda told us that but 
I just don't think the problem is anything to do with the hybrid system. I think the reason people say that is they jump to conclusions. Honda and you into it. Everybody wants to do Honda down. It's because they're, they're foreign, they're from outside, they're from a long way away, and it's in that spooky hybrid bit that we don't really understand. So let's blame that because we don't understand it. Actually, I think, I think as with many of these things, the, the solution is just the simple one. Now, could Alonso have some medical condition we don't know about? Absolutely. But right now, I'm seeing no evidence of anything going wrong with the car. When it comes to medical things, I pass that over to people who know a lot more about this. So I did ask them, including one Mrs. Cotton, and uh, she has told us that actually in head injuries and concussions, they're really funny things, and stuff like, that does, uh, stuff like that does happen. And there's this... I'm not sure the, the truth to it, but the uh, the waking up and saying, I am Fernando, I drive go-karts, go and I want to be one day in Formula 1, that's something that could happen in a head injury. Of course it can. So it sounds to me that Alonso had his noggin rattled fairly fundamentally, and there is nothing more to it. It is what it is. Um, this Right, let, let, we, let's move on from the incident itself and let's talk about the issues that they've had. Nick Holland tweets, uh, good evening Nick by the way, comms, uh, communications at McLaren have not been great since Martian, Martin Wishmarsh went missing on gardening leave. Uh, Stefan just tweeted if he fell asleep or whatever, why did he crush on the inside of the corner? That's the thing that I'm most disturbed about. I don't think it, it matters which side of the corner. It depends how much lock he had on the wheel. Um, and uh, also... Oh, I've just lost the one I was going to ask the question. Well, in that case, I'll say that uh, last we year we actually saw a, an accident uh, on the same corner. I can't remember who it was now, uh, where the driver Pastor did. Maldonado. Crash. It was Maldonado, was it? I was going to yeah, say Maldonado, and I thought, no, I'm just doing him <laughs> a disservice. Um, but I assume he crashed all the time. But he did crash on the inside in pretty much yep. exactly the same spot. Um, and this from Ken House... Uh, because of the issues of course with McLaren which we'll go into in a moment uh, he says and I think I'll fire this to you uh, straight away Sam um, the McLaren's performance has not been great so far will they even make it out of Q1 in Australia? If they can get the engine to start properly yeah maybe I mean I really would love to tell you a lot about this McLaren car it's it's a beautiful piece of engineering from a car side. The rear end is just spectacularly small. I mean, it's like half the car has gone missing. It's, it's absolutely beautiful to look at the rear. The, the aero package on it looks like it should be super efficient. And it looks, you know, it's got a great driver lineup. The car just looks like it should be fantastic. Unfortunately, when it goes out, it sounds like a Pulse Jet circa 1944 somewhere over London. Really? It, it buzzes along and then eventually cuts out, and everybody looks a bit worried at that point. It, it, it's the, I, We haven't seen it, the engine, work properly at any point. We just don't know what that car can do. It could be Honda's gone away, fixed all the problems, it's going to turn up in Melbourne, the thing's going to be a rocket ship. Mm. I don't think that's going to happen. I think it's going to break down spectacularly, and we're going to see them get for about six power units before they get to the grid. Mm, okay. Um Again, some uh, enforced uh, uh, personnel changes then, of course, at McLaren. And the fantastic stat that we had on Midweek Motorsport from one of the listeners last week, Nick, that not since 1975, in a year with a five on the end of it, have McLaren had a, a season that these same two drivers have driven all the way through the season, which is a great uh, stat. Uh, so it will be... 
uh, at McLaren Honda, it will be Jensen and Magnussen who will start things off. I suppose if you've got to have a reserve driver, young Magnussen's not a bad one to have. Jensen, I've got to say, I wonder what his motivation will be like after the way he was uh, dangled around at the end of last season. But he's there, so he must want to be there. He had an option to to go and uh, race with Nissan in the World Endurance Championship, as we all are aware now. Um, one more year for Jensen and potentially Magnussen racing for his career. I think that's fair enough. I think you know it was an interesting. I think we were all quite surprised that they went with with Jensen in the end. Um, I think Jensen was quite surprised as well. I think uh, right. again, it's uh, the concept of putting together Alonso and uh, and uh, Jensen was obviously for a development season seemed quite good. And obviously um, Jensen is uh, married to a, a, a Japanese lady, uh, which is plays well in Japan. Of course, Jensen is already and he's, he's obviously very very popular there. But so, you know, there's a lot of that kind of nationalistic politics that seems to come into it. Um, the problem really is, I mean, we've talked about it, is that the cars are a complete disaster. I mean, admittedly, it's doing the same thing as all the cars did last year. But you kind of wonder what McLaren, what Honda were doing the last year where they couldn't get any of the bits to talk to the other bits. You would have thought they'd have had them all sitting around testing them. They've got enough blooming mm-hmm. other Sorry. cars they could have put the um, the bits in. And they're not, you kind of think, why have you not taken advantage of the time you had to at least get a, you know, a base engine working that was reliable and everything was actually talking to itself? Um, but they didn't. And so we're left with, with McLaren. And it's an point that, yeah, the, the, yeah it, one of the listeners made about, yeah, it's all been a bit downhill since Martin Wishmark Wishmark went missing. It's true, Eric Boulier is, is yeah. a nice man, but he hasn't got the same gravitas as Martin had. Um, and Ron's obviously come back and taken over. And Ron's great if it's winning. If it's winning, it's fantastic having Ron. But when you in a much more media open world, as you said, than it was you know, 10 years ago, and you're not winning, you need to explain yourself. And that's not Ron's strong point. Um, let's go back to Sam Collins for some final thoughts on Honda and the thinking behind this year's McLaren. Sam? I'm going to just talk a little bit about the overall car concept. I think what McLaren has done is what Ferrari tried to do last year, which is not a good sign. They basically have tried to make the, the engine power unit sort of sacrificial in performance terms mm. to their overall aerodynamics of the car so the car can run small and co- smaller cooling and the power unit produces less power overall so i'm pretty sure that the honda is not the most powerful power unit on the grid but i think honda have got a bit of an issue and it's a company issue in 2009 they designed and built and tested a formula one car that was not the braun bgp which went on to win the world championship that year. That car had its own Honda designed, developed and built hybrid system. And they did all the facilities to build a very good, very innovative hybrid system for a Formula One car. They carried on working on that, but in all of their other series of racing, Le Mans cars, Super GT, Super Formula, they've brought in all of their hybrid technology, particularly the motors and the management systems from Zytec. Well, Honda hasn't done that with this. This is their own project again. But talking to the Honda guys involved and some who aren't officially involved, the project for this power unit has no relationship with the 2009 work, which carried on in the background and then was stopped. So what Honda's had to do to get the thing to run is use stuff from McLaren Electronics, McLaren's in-house hybrid system, 
which is very, very similar to the one used on the Mercedes. Right. Now, I think Honda's got a big problem now. If the Honda guys insist on using their parts on the race car and on the homologation document, which is most important, then they're going to be in big trouble all year. If they swallow their pride and allow the McLaren bits to go on the car all season, they will have something that will work all season long because it's reliable, but might not have the ultimate highest performance. The Honda power unit is the only one on the grid that has to be fully homologated before the Australian Grand Prix. Honda do not know how much development they're allowed to do for reasons of performance in season. And they won't know that until probably Thursday, Friday time. However, the conspiracy theorist may say lots of reliability problems for Honda. Yes. Let's develop in season, doesn't yes, it? Yes, Absolutely. Absolutely. Good point. Sam Collins of uh, Race Car Engineering. Now you're listening to a Midweek Motorsports special just after 9.15 here in the UK. Uh, that's 5.15 on the East Coast because you've put your clocks forward uh, on the North American continent uh, a wee bit earlier than uh, ours. Is it, a, it's, is it a full week earlier than we're doing here or is it a fortnight? Uh, fortnight, isn't it? It is a fortnight, right? Okay, thank you very much. I think it might be three weeks for I know. So that means midweek motorsport, at least for this week and probably next week as well, uh, will be an hour later. Definitely uh, for next week, maybe the week after, as Nick said. For, for you guys uh, in Canada and North America. Uh, right, let's let's push on. Uh, McLaren last year were fifth, and that's why we're talking about them there. Uh, really, the the worst of the big teams before we move on to everyone else. Force India was six, so let's talk about them it's straight March away. It's March 29th, by the way. Thank you. All oh, right, it's quite a long time then. Um, so, uh, Sam, first of all, it's it's been a difficult birth for Force India this year. Um, they weren't able to get their hands on their chassis at the time they wanted to. Actually... <laughs> Not all their fault. They were hoping to do the same thing that they've done for every other year and get them on credit. But after the collapse of Marussia and Caterham at the end of last year, as you might imagine, dear listener, some of the suppliers weren't prepared to release large expensive bits of stuff without having the folding nicely trousered. So they, they're a little bit behind. What do, we, what do we know about Force India going into Australia then? They've got a lot of work to do, John. I think free practice is going to be super important for them because they simply don't have enough time on that new car. Now, there's been a lot of um, speculation about what really caused the delay, and you know, there's that you you can only say so much when you don't have all the facts in front of you. But one thing I perhaps will say is um, a lot of things were put at the foot of the problems in Marussia and Caterham. I, I think those problems pre-existed that scenario. Okay. Uh, there were issues with Force India and with Lotus and with Sauber throughout the end of last year. That That's not secret. And I think there are a lot of supply chain companies who are really hurting from the state of Formula One at the moment. And Force India haven't, in my opinion, been entirely forthcoming with, and for obvious reasons, with what's been going on over the winter but they have worked really hard to put together what does look to be a really quite neat little car but that car is just simply not going to be as developed as it should be so i wouldn't expect too much from force india this year and actually by the end of the season i would probably expect it to be the second worst car in formula one because they won't be able to develop it through the season 
because they don't I... have the, the cash flow. Yeah, exactly that. I, I think they have a major financial shortfall still, and uh, the finances, unfortunately, are defining what's going on in Formula One at the moment. And Force India has a fantastic group of engineers there, so I really hope they can get some funding to bring them back to where they should be. This is a team that was on pole position and threatening to win races a few years ago. Yeah. Um, Sam, do you know, um, did they have both cars on the plane when it left on Friday? Or did they just I'm not one? sure. I've, I've heard talk about that the, the second car may be a bit delayed as well. So, again, it could be a situation like HRT had, uh, well, multiple times, actually, where they were <laughs> building up the second car in, in the pit lane on, on Friday morning. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me to see that with Force India. Uh, again, they've had delays on the chassis. They've had delays on aero parts. We've seen reports, and I think they probably are accurate, that the only reason they could finish that ch- chassis one to go and test in Barcelona was that Mercedes gave them a stack of cash to run Wehrlein, um, the DTM champion. And I think that's really w- what's going on. There are some big issues in that team, and they're big issues across Formula 1 right now. Uh, Nick Damon, personnel, uh, let's uh, take the drivers for Force India. Uh, well, they, you know, I think it's interesting to sound records they could drop to penultimate. You kind of think, well, they've got a better engine than, than Sauber, and they've certainly got better drives than Sauber. You know, Chico Perez and uh, um, Nico Hulkenberg are both very, very good, you know, middle, well, t- top to middle drivers. So they've got no shortage there for the team. I think, you know, it is all about the money, I'm afraid. Um, and the issue is that the, both the, the major shareholders and owners and also therefore the owners of the parent companies and the major sponsors are in tremendous problem in their native India. One's in jail, one's facing multiple issues with potential bankruptcy of various companies. There is a massive cash flow issue. Um, as Sam says, it's a good team. And I think it doesn't really matter in F1 who you've got racing for you or engineering the car. If you've got no money, you're stuffed. Um, okay, fair enough. Uh, any big changes in personnel uh, across the window for Force India? Do you know, I genuinely don't know. The drivers are the same. Yeah, I don't think there has been. I'll, I'll go with that. All right, let's move on to Squadratoro Rosso, seventh in the championship uh, last year. We'll come back to some of the, the, the financial problems because we will talk about that. I'd be very surprised if they weren't seven, seventh again. Mm, you, you might or be. Sixth, uh, maybe. Uh, Actually, can I just jump back in? Yeah, sure, you can. Just drag, drag us back to Force India for a second, because we yeah. really talk about the car, and I think that's doing a little bit of a disservice. Is there, there are some neat bits on that car. Okay. This is a car that they've, they've quite openly talked about their rear suspension not having any torsion bars oh. in it. So it's gone for a purely hydro, hydromechanical solution. Now, we haven't heard too much about that, but what I believe it to be is a much smaller system to allow them to get a much tighter rear end on the car for aerodynamic reasons. It, so no, no, the spring and medium could be entirely built into the damper, which is a really clever thing. Haven't seen it, don't know, but that's what they're telling us they've done. It's also adopted a couple of Red Bull um, traits on the car. You have that bulge on the bodywork that you've seen on all the Mercedes engine cars, but it's also got what we call the S-duct, a little scoop mm. under the nose and a little sort of exit duct in front pointing at the driver which just gives a little bit of aerodynamic performance around the front wheels so there's a few little details so this is a properly developed car with some just neat and tidy things the lower wishbones are worth looking at when you see some more photos of the car it's a neat car if it has a good budget it could be a very quick car right let's uh, now move on to squadratoro rosso um a disappointing i would think for them seventh last year really? why 
Well, they're, they're a terrible engine, and they're, and they're, and that's not where they're there to do, is it? No, I, well, yes. That I mean, that is that is true. Um, let's talk about the driving lineup first, uh, Nick. Crack on uh, with the, the two STR drivers. Well, yeah, if you look at it, last year they um, managed to get one of their drivers promoted to the main team for the second year in a row. So that's worked out well from after years of not yes. being able to do that. They've signed um, the hottest property. Um, whether you agree with this youth or not, the hottest property in motor racing is signed to race with them in Max Verstappen. They picked up a, uh, a son of a former world champion, just not an F1 world champion, to drive the second car, which gives them <laughs> plenty of interest. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they've done what Toro Rosso should do. You know, it, 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 I possibly might have thought that sticking with Verne rather than Saints might be an option, but they've gone for two rookies. They're going to suffer initially um, with a lack of feedback, but the car's not designed to win. The car's designed to score points and show who's good or who's bad. It's one of those weird things. It's our only B, official B team until Haas turn up. Um, so that's what they're there to do in seventh place and, and, and carrying on and keeping things moving forward. Yeah, that's what they're out for. That's great. If they, if they can prove that, that Verstappen's the real deal and that, that signs can catch on, he's looked a bit slow, actually, or a little bit behind the eight ball in, in testing, then they've absolutely achieved their aim. Uh, it's an interesting it's an interesting point, of course, that they have gone for two very recognisable names uh, in in motorsport. Sam, the finger, the, the accusation, rather, levelled at STR in the past have been that they're... Um, really do suffer um, by being the second Red Bull team and that they are really just getting the scraps that are are throwing thrown out from, from what happens at, at Milton Keynes and although that neither of those teams sign up to the resources agreement that um, the amount of work that's going on in one let- side for the other side and that would be to the advantage of Red Bull rather than STR, of course, uh, is always going to be an issue for them. How are they looking in terms of technology and car design uh, for 2015? Toro Rosso, without doubt, are one of the smartest teams on the grid. Let's not forget, this used to be Minardi, who one of the be- one of the best groups at spending money. They're also run by James Key, who is, in my opinion, one of the really hot properties in Formula One and most one of the most underrated senior technical guys in Formula One. The car, well, she's not pretty. <laughs> the airbox on it is, if you haven't seen pictures of the Toro Rosso, just just look it up on um, on Google Images because it is seriously ugly when it comes to underneath, the underneath. Is it just last year's Red Bull? I mean, is that effectively abs, abs, how it works? Oh. Oh, oh, hell no. No, no, no. This is a fundamentally different car, fundamentally different concept. The only thing it has in common with the Red Bull are the gearbox internals. Right. Toro Rosso refused to use the same gearbox as Red Bull because the Italians, who, from going back to the Minardi days, think they do a better job of gearboxes than anybody else in Formula 1, and I'm actually not going to disagree with that. They do fantastic gearbox casings in in, uh, CRP technology and in Faenza, where the car's built. The aerodynamic program, again, completely separate to Red Bull stuff. There's no exchange of data anymore. Toro Rosso have got a really, really nice package going on. The packaging of the uh, Renault V6 engine and power unit, that is shared with Red Bull um, because there's only the two teams using the Renault power unit. It makes a lot of sense just to use the same things in that department. Toro Rosso, again, they're very cagey about the suspension on the car. They simply won't reveal too much other than, in testing, it had torsion bars in it. But they were talking about removing them altogether for the racing seasons. Uh, again, haven't seen the car in Melbourne yet, so 
don't know the answer, but Toro Rosso, in my book, are the second most exciting team from a technical point of view in Formula One right now. Yeah, but you've said that before, Sam, in point of fact, in terms of how excited you get about concept. Yeah, when, was it, necess- you, when, when was it you said that Sam were going to win races? No, no, he didn't uh, say they were going to win races. He oh, said he it was did. an exciting concept. And I'm, <laughs> he I'm, said, oh, I'm gonna go back and defend. listen, Motors Madman. No, he, he's made some real ridiculous pontifications before. We sat there going, no. Well, let me, let me put that another way that isn't quite as... Uh, uh, quite as offensive as you just have, Nick. In, no, in, it's all part in, of the banter. <laughs> in, in, in the fact that you have said in the past that cars are interesting technically and they have done absolutely sweet naff all during the... <laughs> well, that's less insulting, isn't it? <laughs> the season. They are very lovely to look at and they've had some innovative solutions to the problems, but they just haven't been able to perform. When people do different things it can only go one of two ways can't it Sam it can be brilliantly better or really really much worse the to quote Smokey Eunuch hmm? the first of the new will always lose to the last of the old mm-hmm. the innovative approach is not always the right approach but in Toro Rosso's defense on this one there is nothing new in terms of concept and approach on this car. And I think someone like Toro Rosso, they're always held back by inexperienced drivers. And that's absolutely what they've got this year. They have the two young, they have the dri- youngest driving lineup. Because that's the point of the team, yes. to train yep. these young drivers up. But Toro Rosso, I reckon if you put you know, one of the works Red Bull drivers in it, a Ricardo or something like that, into the Toro Rosso, it would be up there at the front. It really could be. And I wouldn't be too surprised that... On the right day, right conditions, Toro Rosso, you know, it might best the Red Bull. It's happened before. There was one man called Vettel who did quite well in a Toro Rosso at Monza a few years back, I seem to remember. What's the difference now between the Toro Rosso and and putting Ricardo in it and having Ricardo in it a couple of years ago when he wasn't beating Red Bulls? Yeah, and it's a different time. The cars moved on a lot. The teams moved on a lot. And also, when Fettel actually did that in the in the Toro Rosso, it was the Red Bull. That was when they were allowed to have basically the same car. The, the front, the front, the front was the Red Bull. The rear was completely different. It had a totally separate gearbox, totally separate mm. suspension. So it's 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 fifty fifty. But I really do think Toro Rosso. It, will they deliver? Will they get race wins? I think not. The drivers are going to be holding them back. But as a car, it's, it's a seriously interesting piece of kit. Right. Okay. Let's move on. Um, the last. Uh, three teams on the grid, Lotus, Marussia and Sauber, all in financial stripe. Marussia, of course, just back out of administration and we don't have the time to discuss in detail their situations. But we've alluded, uh, Marussia in particular, uh, as you probably heard on last week's Midweek Motorsport, still haven't paid off uh, their debts. The Lotus, Marussia and South Concerns... they have come to an agreement with all their creditors, which all their creditors are happy with, so... Well, that's not entirely true, Tim. Well, apart from the tax the show man, last week, you'd know that. And the tax man doesn't, doesn't agree. And the local council and everybody else who didn't have a say because the only people who counted in that were Ferrari and uh, McLaren, McLaren because... Uh, you are weighted by how much of the money you are owned by. So they outvoted everybody else. So that's not entirely true. Um, however, let's not go back into that now. Cash flow has been an issue, as we've mentioned earlier on, for uh, Lotus, uh, for Marussia particularly, and for, for Sauber. Let's hope that they can do the full season. Uh, Lotus this year then, Sam, what about the product itself, engine and chassis? 
Well, the big difference about this year's Lotus is what's in the back of it. It's a Mercedes engine. It's not a Renault anymore. And that really could move this team forwards. And it lets the chassis side, the aero team of those guys at Enstone, really show what they can do. But I wonder, is it too little, too late? A lot of their good people have left that team because of the financial problems. James Allison has gone. You know, he loved that team. And I just think it's the car is, again, as with many of the cars this year, a gentle evolution, if you like, of last year's car. But it's just, I, I wonder about their finances. Again, it's a similar case. Will they have the budget to develop it? it if you look at the um, again this is one of the cars that's got a really strange shaped airbox for cooling it looks like they've nicked it off a Dassault fighter jet from years ago but if you look at the top of the monocoque aside from the airbox it's almost an exact carryover from the 2014 car and that suggests to me that maybe the team just hasn't been able to invest into that real detailed development the way Mercedes do that bring results and I think that's going to be the weakness of this team I suspect if Force India can get a bit of funding and get that car working properly, the Lotus is going to be the worst of the Mercedes runners. Okay, uh, Nick, driver lineup and uh, other personnel. We've kind of touched on there with Sam, basically bleeding the talent that that was there uh, in previous years away from um, on the pit wall and in the garage. What about in the driver's seats? Well, they have um, uh, the mobile checkbook in uh, Pasenad Maldonado, and uh, who is currently the Bet Noir and the previous Bet Noir of F1 in Roman Grosjean, who's straightened up his act and uh, uh, goes quite quickly. Um, I think that the the situation is interesting. They obviously do know how much of an advantage the Mercedes gives them over a second a lap if they just swapped cars from last year. It's a huge it's a huge push. And they have managed to not get any more in debt in the past twelve months, which is quite a big thing actually they've managed to hemorrhage cash. I think as I think they're going to do better than Sam thinks. I I, I think that the, the, the Mercedes power plant they only had one year off you know, one down year. They they, they don't forget they were whilst they've had financial problems they've had some good cars so they've, they've still got a good a good basic design concept their issue their issue Nick has been that they haven't had the wherewithal uh, in financial terms to develop throughout the season and, and, they, and they just haven't been able to move forward have they no, I think it's a good point. I think, you know, what happens as far as, as cash is concerned is, is, is cash is king. And my feeling is that they probably won't get, unless they have done something very clever, will they get ahead of Williams? I, I doubt it because Williams are coming from a slightly stronger position on a number of levels. Will they be able to tickle the back of that pack? I think absolutely. I mean, it's a case that they, the car was quick out the box. It, only, it was only a day late and it was, it, was a, it was a good piece of kit. And so they can move it forward. Um, but like a lot of teams, you know, they are looking, they are struggling for survival in many ways, and, one, and therefore they're going to have to maximise those days when they're better than the other teams. You know, they're going to have days when they can make the top five and the, to perhaps even make third or fourth, and they're going to have to make sure on those particular days when the tyre compounds, the temperatures, as Sam said, the track surface, the design of the track suits them, they maximise opportunities. Uh, stay with you, Nick, as we uh, move on to uh, Marussia. Um, mm. Have they got two drivers now? I think we announced the second They have. Yes, yes, excellent. Well done. Roberto Meri. But only for uh, the first race. 
couple of races. It, interesting. It, yes, the the announcement is for the opening races. Is uh, is what it said. There'll be number twenty-eight and ninety-eight, along with Will Stevens, isn't it? Who is mm-hmm. the uh, the other driver? Um, I mean. <laughs> Obviously, they've bought their way into the seats. It's what uh, is needed. Uh, I don't know. You tell me, uh, Tim and um, Nick. To be honest, I think this is one it? team where I'd actually really like to... Uh, I, I need to really to, to hands over to Sam. To me, as I said before, I don't really see the point of this uh, for this year. They've got a year-old Ferrari engine, which Sam's already said was the worst one anyway, and now it's going to be a, a generation back. Um they're going to be will they make the 107 percent rule um it costs a lot of money to go nowhere what what from an engineering point does sam see the point of this of this <clears> team existing well there's, there's there are some issues here uh, that of, of a technical nature sam how are they going to get through a crash test with a car that is essentially last year's have they done enough they've already uh, passed the... the crash test oh okay they did that last week Oh, yep. Yes, that's right. Yes, they did. Um, so, uh, how have they been allowed to use a car which is essentially last year's car? Will they have two at um, Australia? And what does the rest of the season hold for them? And and, <laughs> and they've got a, a gearbox that seems to be made out of silly putty if they're using the Ferrari unit. Uh, they the, the tell you what, this is absolutely fascinating what this team have managed to do in the last few weeks. Um, so, wind back. End of the 20, uh, well, the Russian Grand Prix. Uh, sorry, yeah, Japanese and Russian Grand Prix last year. Uh, unfortunately, um, Jules Bianchi destroyed one of the three Mauricia MRO3s, leaving the team with just two chassis. Mm-hmm. Those chassis were going to be auctioned off to the highest bidder, and some of the stuff was, but they weren't. There was a rescue package put together by a bloke from an energy company and a bloke from a supermarket. They managed to put it together at the last minute, and they have got the two remaining 2014 chassis and they've modified them. And those modifications involve some additional paneling along the side of the chassis Mm -hmm. for safety reasons. That's part of the regulations. And they've been exempted as far as I know. And now I haven't seen the front, the nose of these cars yet. They've been exempted from the new nose regulations, mainly because the nose rules were interested introduced for aesthetic reasons, not for safety reasons. Yeah. So the front crash test, I think they were exempted from for a period of grace. But and what you're seeing there, Sam, is there's no sh- spare chassis if anything goes wrong. Absolutely, they don't have any spare, and they don't have, I believe, the capability to make a spare because I think some of the tooling was sold off in the auction. They certainly don't have the wind tunnel model because a friend of mine bought it for eight hundred quid. Uh, so they have. <laughs> <laughs> However, he would rent it back to them for a large amount of money. Uh, I think he would. I think, I think I've got a feeling because I think we did mention his name earlier, so I think he might be listening into this show right now. All so right. Um, they, they are developing a, a twenty fifteen car as well, though. So. As long as they can keep the 2014 cars in one piece um, for a few races, uh, then mid-season, after a couple of European races, they'll have a new car anyway. Well, here's here's where it gets really interesting. Because they have the 2014 car, which we all expect to be a bit off the pace because it's an old car, it's got the 2014 Ferrari engine in it because uh, and that's because they you can't in, they couldn't have didn't have time to do the installation for the new engine and power, ah. new power unit in the back of it. They didn't have time to do a new gearbox and crash test that. They just had to go with what they'd got essentially, and that's 
that engine is only designed to last for four races. Now, the Ferrari was fairly reliable, but it won't be able to stretch to five. So I suspect after four races are done, that is the point where the new chassis needs to come. But the question is, what is the new car? Mauricio no longer have a 2015 wind tunnel model. That was sold off. The spine went back to McLaren and a collector bought it for £2,000 in an auction. He outbid me, which is annoying because I really wanted it. <laughs> and th- so what are they using? The CAD data from that car, my understanding, currently resides in Mr. Gene Haas's computer. Mm. So whether they extracted it, I actually bought a couple of computers from the from the auction in the attempt to try and acquire some of that data and fail but i do now have max chilton's laptop which is what i'm talking to you right now through fantastic <laughs> but um the design of the car if they've managed to retain that cad data they will require a new wind tunnel model. the design of the car the 2015 Mauricio was absolutely stunning we talked about this didn't we late last year about the innovative uh, approach that those guys were taking there. Most of those guys have disappeared and have thankfully found paying jobs, um, people that pay them on time as well, uh, at, at other places. But that, that new breed of engineer that were there in the past were turning up some really interesting concepts. And this car, the 2015 Marissa, would have been the real sort of statement of that. It had a fantastic suspension system, something never seen in motor racing before, as far as I understand it. The aero concepts on it were amazing. The thing was so well detailed. That car, if they build it, if they've still got that data, will be superb. However, there is a second 2015 car in the mix that could be the new manor. And the clue is who they've hired as the new chief of track engineering, which in Marissa terms is technical director. That's one Nicholas Perrin. Yes, that's an interesting hire. By the way, a number of people pointing out on Spec- uh, uh, at Specutainment uh, on Twitter that the blog from the energy company isn't putting any energy company money in and the energy company themselves making that very clear. And the blog from the supermarket who's uh, going to run it uh, isn't in the supermarket and neither is the supermarket putting in any money uh, as uh, Yeah, but his, as, his son's well. still a development driver. Yeah, <laughs> look at me face. Any sign of shock? No, not a surprised face uh, at all. Do you think Nick Perrin then um, could pull something out of uh, one of his bonkers draws that he has had in the past? Because he has done a few, shall we say, interesting concepts in the past. Um, Well, before I answer the question about Nick Perrin, I'll answer the question about the the chat from Sainsbury's. Just a little comment. When he left Sainsbury's, do you know he was replaced by a coupe? Was he really? Look it up. He was absolutely replaced by a coupe, and now he's gone back to open cockpit stuff again. So Very good. Sounds, sounds a bit like Audi Sports to me. But um, Nick Perrin has a, a past in motor racing. He, he was a successful engineer at Williams and decided not to be a race engineer, wanted to be a car designer. Williams let him go and do that, funded his car design expertise, and decided to go off on his own and set up his own company. He was responsible for the Pescarolo and I'm going to get the number wrong, Pescarolo 03, which was the Aston Martin AMR1 variant that didn't work very oh well. Mm. And But he is completely open about what went wrong with that car and what the problems were. And that's really interesting that he's so open about his own mistakes. He has since gone on to design this LMP1 car, which is now actually ready for manufacture if someone puts the money in. And I know who's funded the work so far to this point, so it wouldn't shock me to see that car get built. But 
while in his spare time he, he finished the LMP1, he's designed a 2015 Formula One car. That design could easily be manufactured by the Barcelona Grand Prix, the Spanish Grand Prix, and we could see a Perrin, Mana, Mauricio, Ferrari on the grid <laughs> this Provide, year. Provided, of course, that there's, there's some finance goes into the team. The problem with that team has been in the past, they've never managed to raise much more than 28 to 30 million dollars in a season and they've spent twice or three times that every year being not very good so if all they're going to do is repeat the business mistakes of the past then i'm sorry i have no sympathy for them um, but they are yeah. now run by businessmen and not racing yeah. drivers so. and, and the, the, other the, people, the people running it but unfortunately pe- people who come in from business often make even bigger mistakes in motor racing because for some reason their business <clears> argument <throat> completely disappears as soon as they get on a pit wall. There is one difference here, John, which I mentioned before, is that this year there are only 10 teams, so they make the season, they're Correct. guaranteed the cash. Yeah, no, no, that's that's absolutely true, and that, that will be uh, that will be a big difference for them. We've uh, Thanks to st- Force India and Sauber, uh, they're now allowed to take that cash earlier. Yes, they have had the pay deal loan, haven't they, from uh, Bernard Charles, the bank of Bernard Charles Eccleston. Uh, quarter to 10, midweek motorsport. Uh, I don't believe Manor have actually had any money from Bernie yet. Yet. They'll be getting some, though. Well, obviously, because yeah. they're due some at some point, but uh, they haven't asked for an advance like uh, Saab and Force India have. Uh, but this is this is an interesting point, because the work they've done so far on the car is not cheap work. They have done some seriously advanced engineering on that thing, and they're doing some seriously advanced engineering on the, on the successor car. The, it, uh, there's... There's a good bunch of people in that team, and there's some good stuff happening there. And I really cannot wait to see how that car is built up and what it's finished into, and ha- how much they've developed it. That team is the one to watch on the grid. Uh, that Nick- car, that car, I think, well, not this—the one they start the season, the one they finish the season with—will be better than the Force India and the Sauber by the end of the year. Ah, well, we wish them the best with that. Nick uh, Hollander says, "Ah, the brilliance of F1 cars that never see the light of day." <laughs> They're always really good. The ones that never always, see the light of always day. Always good. Uh, quarter to ten. Uh, let's uh, crack on with the last of I just, the. Just uh, finished talking about Manor. <laughs> I uh, think we finished talking about Manor. Nick we? was very um, uh, doubting about the uh, qualifications of Jordan King, who may be the son of the new chairman of Manor. There uh, he is. Well, he is, he is. Uh, but um, are you casting have, doubt on his parentage? Team, he does. Think, he know? does have a decent racing pedigree, and only today in Abu Dhabi, uh, he was tenth and only four tenths of a second a lap slower than Stoffel Van Dorn in the GP2 car. So there are nine faster GP2 people. There were today. Yeah, in the same car. He's in the same car. Why can't he be as the, exactly the same speed? But no, I'm not saying, equally, I'm just, there were there were sixteen no one, slower GP2 drivers. No one is saying he's not he's not a, a good peddler. It's just that the reason he's there is because his dad owns a team. It's well, fine. The reason, it, it, st- stop, know, stop. The reason he's there is because his dad is minted and can afford to put him into that. Yeah, fair enough. Okay. Um, and the other thing I was going to say was. Um, I can't remember now. Not important. So uh, we can move. <laughs> the um, the second race driver, mm-hmm. um, who is initially there for one race and possibly a couple of others. Um, do we think Roberto that, Mary? Roberto Mary. Do we think that, given that uh, uh, Graham Loudon said last week that uh, they 
for the season. They weren't necessarily looking for someone who was bringing lots of money. What, you believed him? Um, do you Rick, think give me that, a drive, then. Do you think that Mary is there as a stopgap uh, until the situation regarding who's driving for the next team is sorted out? Well, uh, that, yeah. who knows? Well, let's get straight to uh, Sauber, who are in the... Uh, unique position, or certainly were at the end of last season, uh, of being uh, one team, two cars, and four full-time drivers. Nick, I know. And Adrian Sutil, he got the weight increase he wanted. He could have had a, he could have had his Christmas dinner and everything with the extra eleven kilograms. Mm, absolutely. But he's he's apparently won his case in the Swiss court, but just taken some cash. Thank you very much. Uh, Guido van der Gaard, uh is trying to force the hand of Salva to give him a race drive, which is like a really uh, well pointless thing to do he wants his money back fine but what's the point of getting a team who doesn't want you to run you You they can can sabotage you easy enough Um, and the car's going to be worse than uh, taking the money and taking it to Manor well he's in court in Australia isn't he Um, it's been deferred to this morning I think tomorrow morning sorry correct absolutely um, yeah, I mean, the car looks How okay. did they get themselves in that position, Nick? And because I'd, I'd like you to... Wait, wait. I would like you to answer that question without using the words money-grabbing or greed. It wasn't money-grabbing or greed. It was it was when you could afford to pay. And um, ah. uh, um, Ericsson paid up front, which kept the... Uh, kept the factory open over the winter and Felipe Nazir paid a huge amount of money. Look at the colour of that car. That colour that car is Banco de Brazil. It's all Felipe Nazir's money. There's only a small amount of uh, Ericsson sponsors, but the point was Ericsson sponsors paid up front and kept the factory lights on over winter. In terms of the technical package, Sam Collins of Race Car Engineering, Sauber Harv, as we've mentioned, turned out some really nice cars in the past. Uh, the team are past masters of doing an awful lot with not very much budget. Now that they've got Nazir there, perhaps they can do um, perhaps a bit more with a bit more money, or will they have that horrible situation where they've got more money than they know what to do with and they won't get the benefit from it? I, I've, I've got... a uh... I, I feel a bit harsh saying this because I, I love the Sauber team, mm. um, but it looks like they've not done very much at all over the winter. The car is so similar in concept to last year; it, it, it's it's incredible. I mean, yes, there's iterations, yes, there's modifications, but overall, the car is just pretty damn close to last year's car. Uh, it, it is obviously a different car, but it it's not that different. Is that the... because they believe last year's car was so close to perfect that they didn't need to change it much? <laughs> Well, a comment that I can't attribute about giving certain people's identity is way too much, but was, this is the worst car we've ever built. We will be terrible. We will be the worst team on the grid. I want to leave. I want to leave. Do you know any jobs going in F1? Mm. That was a comment from... Peter Sauber. I love Peter Sauber. He's a fantastic guy. Alex Sauber, Manisha, it... they're a fantastic team. I really like Sauber. But was, was that is, comment from Philippe Nazar? Things... <laughs> <laughs> well, no. One of the things that's important to state about Sauber is there is no debt in that team, as I yes, understand there. Good point. They, they paid all of their debts off. That's Peter Sauber's philosophy. Unfortunately, they've now got no money left to, to go racing. Already. They are struggling. They are struggling to go racing, but everything. But they've got no debt, so they could always borrow money if they needed to. But as I understand, it, they've got no debt. But Marcus Ericsson, in case we're, we're talking about the money side of it, I know that he paid Caterham 22 million euros last season. 
for his drive, whereas uh, Kamui only paid eight million euros. Um, right turn lover says maybe Sauber temporarily forgot they're in Formula One and thought they were still in uh, sports cars. Two cars, four drivers. That would have worked perfectly. That's a fair point, well made. Um, they always <laughs> ran uh, three drivers in their cars, though, didn't they? So they, well, could, they could have employed another two. Yes. Um, okay. Well, I I'm with you, Sam. I. I think Sam has, uh, has hit the nail on the head as when it comes to Sauber. They are one of the perennial survivors. Um, Peter Sauber um, has got a lot more to do with it than he has had in, in recent years, and hopefully he'll keep working his magic and, and keep that, that team on the grid. And let's hope that we finish the season with the 10 teams that we have just mentioned. What do you um, think about uh, Sauber's reason for not wanting to put uh, Guido in the car this weekend? He's slow. He's tall. No, they said it, it would be dangerous uh, to put someone who's not tested the car into a race in a seat yeah, that didn't fit. Them. Rubbish. Absolute rubbish. I'm no, sorry. There's a wheelbarrow full of that. You can get in the local garden centre for not a lot of money. It steams at the same time. Um, here is a sensible uh, question for, that would would uh, would this help uh, the teams at the back? I, I'm not sure it would, but it's a question that's worth asking. Uh, and it's about sponsorship. There's there's not a lot of sponsorship in Formula One. Goodness me, McLaren can't get themselves a sponsor. But Anthony has tweeted in and said, should F1 be like Indy cars with sponsors, different sponsors per car? Nick Damon. Yes. But there's still not enough people around that want to sponsor. Yeah. I've got to to jump in here because I wrote this last year when Mauricio were in trouble. Mm. It's exactly what Formula One. Formula One needs one car teams and it needs people to be able to run different liveries on both of the cars. It's such a simple thing and it would increase the variety in Formula One. It would be better for spectators. Different coloured cars. It would be more like IndyCar or NASCAR. Yeah, but it would be great. It would be cool. You could have a green Sauber and a blue Sauber. Who cares? It's great fun. They're still Saubers. I think you can do that, but only with uh, teams of two or more cars. I think one-car teams leaves you going down the line of... uh, And one-car teams that don't have to do all the races and one-car teams that just show up for one event. And you don't yeah, that's absolutely that. what we need because that, that variety is the spice of motor racing. Wild it works. Entries. It works very exactly. It works brilliantly in the Tour de France. It works brilliant in football. It works brilliantly in in Le Mans. You know, you that's only going to work, Sam. That's only going to work if you have a uh, a set of regulations that are so stable that somebody can go and buy a car from two or three years ago at a reasonable price. And yeah, run it. you have to buy last year's you car. Could buy, you could buy a 2014 F1 car and modify it for 2015 regulations. Just have a look at that, Mauricio. Mm, okay. Uh, it's time for predictions, gentlemen. Tim, what do you want us to predict this year? Uh, to start off with, I'd like you to predict your driver's champion. Sam. Lewis Hamilton, Stevenage's <laughs> finest. Uh, Nick Damon. Lewis Hamilton, Switzerland's finest. John. <laughs> Nico Rosberg, Monaco's finest. <laughs> <laughs> yes, okay. And you, you, Tim? Oh, you want me to predict as well? I'm going to yeah. go with Lewis then. Okay, fine. Uh, and next. And Lewis Hamilton now is jumping up and down for joy, be, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and Nico's got his head in his hands because he knows that my picks are normally rubbish. Apart from that, that, that two years ago where you chose Sebastian Vettel to win every race and you got the last ten all right. Yep. Yes, but he did also predict Kimi Raikkonen to win the title. No, no, no. I said I said um, Alonso or somebody, didn't I, instead? Yeah. Right, OK, next. 
next, uh, car. Sam. Mercedes. Mercedes Nick. works, Mercedes. Tim. John. Mercedes. Okay, so I think we have a clean sweep of Mercedes there. Um, I, I want to ask one of the guys, mm-hmm. right? The biggest surprise and biggest disappointment. Okay, so biggest surprise positive and biggest disappointment um, this year uh, in Formula 1. Because we've got a couple of minutes before the, the end of the show. Sam, biggest surprise, first of all, in, in uh, anything, but so long as it's positive. Uh, Mauricio getting right. points. Okay. Manor getting points. Well, I don't think we should be that surprised at that. I think if they build a car that's reliable rather than one that's fast, then there are certain circuits where they're bound to get points. Will they be right. allowed? Will they be allowed in though if they don't make the one hundred and seven percent? Here's something that is a surprise. Then Force India lasting the season. Lasting the season. You think they won't? I think they will just, but after maybe missing some races. Okay, uh, Nick Damon, big, biggest surprise on a positive level. Well, it probably it'll probably happen at uh, four o'clock local time in Australia when uh, the Manor cars line up for the first Grand Prix of the season. You don't expect to see either of them. No, I do. They, they turn out that 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 will fit, complete the biggest surprise we're going to see this year. Right, you because don't think there will be anything else bigger than I that. No, I mean, I think the, the, the what what I, the surprise I'd like to hear is for Christian Horn to stop blaming Renault for everything and start looking inwardly a bit. Yes. Okay. Uh, right. Biggest disappointment. Should have done these as we're round and finished on a, an upward uh, slant. Should have. Don't worry. I've got final one. Oh, good. All right. Well, we've only got three minutes. So, biggest disappointment, Sam, for you this year. Um, the quality of the racing. Right. You don't think it'll be up to much? No. See, I, no. Think, I think I think behind I think we need Mercedes. A bit of a rule change. I think behind Mercedes, it could be quite interesting. Uh, Nick, biggest disappointment? Not not for me, but for the whole of Italy, it'll be Sebastian Vettel. Um, my biggest disappointment will be Alonso not being in the car all year at all because I don't think he will be I don't think we'll see Alonso drive this year Uh, and my biggest surprise will be a pleasant surprise we'll be seeing the year of Nico Rosberg as I predicted him to uh, (laughs) win the world championship Good that you're not contradicting yourself this year. No, no, um, absolutely. I have a quick query about qualifying format. How many cars, now that we've only got 20, how many cars get eliminated at each five. stage? So we five. lose five and five and have mm-hmm. ten for the final shootout. Okay. Uh, and uh, also we've got some new races on the calendar, haven't we? Or one new race on the calendar in Mexico. Well, I couldn't remember for a second where it was. Yes, but it's not good. It's not as good as it was because they've knocked down the baseball stadium. Well, yes. did get in the way, didn't it? Well, not playing baseball, didn't So what are the quality rules then? 5-5 five, five, and 10. 5-5 uh, five, five and 10. Uh, and by the way, just to, to uh, very quickly underline what Sauber is saying about uh, Van der Gaard, they've said they can't produce a seat in time and he'll be re- risking his life and other people's life. It takes... How long does it take to do a seat insert, Sam? You'll have done one. You'll have sat in one before while one was done around you. I have indeed, and it not long. I don't know, thirty minutes if you're slow. Yeah. Okay. So there's not Put it time this to way, do that. The better before. Mary's uh, seat hasn't been made yet. No, exactly. Exactly. You can, you can. They could do it on the garage in the garage on on 
between free practice one and free practice two, it's not a big deal. I'd if also... you want to make the seat neat and tidy, yeah, it's, it takes longer, but a bit of black tape here and there, you can do it. I'd also be surprised if both the Force India drivers have had their seats fitted, given that one of them doesn't have a car yet. Oh, uh, no, they can do the seat fitting in the same chassis because the two chassis are dimensionally identical. Mm. Good yes, good point. Uh, Sam Collins from Race Car Engineering doing great stuff uh, once again this year the, for us this uh, season preview. The current issue with Race Car Engineering has all you need to know about Formula One without the infighting between him, Nick, Tim mm. and myself. Nick Tim <laughs> is our Formula One correspondent and will continue to add his insight to the 2015 Formula One season uh, throughout Midweek Motorsport, which is every week at 8 o'clock in the UK uh, on a Wednesday evening. On a Wednesday evening. Uh, Tim Gray, our executive producer, will join us again for Midweek Motorsport tomorrow. I'm John Heinoff. Thanks to the responsible adult for keeping things uh, going and passing me some of your tweets. As always, thanks to you, the collective. Uh, And we look forward to what may be another dominant season for Mercedes-Benz. If it's not, we're all going to look a bit silly. No time to explain. The Llama is off to get a seat fitting. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLamont.com.